How are you all doing? Good. It, you know, uh, last week, I just, I enjoyed so much Juice for Jesus, and I pray that you were blessed. And um, it, I just love seeing God's eternal plan laid out in the scriptures to bring Messiah, to bring our Savior. And then as we just, it was a perfect timing. I'm getting ahead of myself. It was really great timing because this is where we were really in our text that God took Jews and Gentiles and made them one in Christ. And that's what the church is made up of every tribe, tongue and nation. And so we worship the same savior. And, uh, I, I love the ministry of Jews for Jesus. And, and we know this, that, that God is always saving a remnant from Israel. And we know that he will pour out his spirit upon Israel. And we will have a time where they will return and come and see their Messiah. And we will rejoice in that. And we are excited to see that happen uh, because our God saves and God loves his people. He loves his church and he loves his people that he chose through Abraham to bring us our Savior. And so the scriptures are just so rich of Christ uh, throughout the Old Testament. So I, I just thought it was wonderful. All right, I know some of you probably just really dislike this, but it's customary for us to take a few moments to review where we've been over the past few weeks. And, and so I'll give you a break this week and not quiz you about our simple two-point outline, which is chapters one through three, our position in Christ. Right? I think you know that. We are in chapters one through three, and we see who we are in Jesus Christ where we stand because of God's grace, and we are quickly moving into, soon, in the next few weeks, chapters four through six, how we live or our practice, the Christian practice, because of who we are in Christ. So yeah, we just reviewed that, and we didn't quiz you. I just gave you the answers. But now as we finish up chapter three, I want to quickly review what we've looked at over really the past three, three messages. We had a, a nice break last week, and... Uh, we're in a, in a passage here where we see that Paul is about to pray. And uh, we're going to get into that today, and we'll see how Paul prayed. But he went on a little sidetrack. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he goes into a description of his ministry, a description of what Paul uh, is about. And uh, it really is an inspired sidetrack. Because there's so much for us to learn, and that's what we've been learning about Paul's ministry and how we follow Paul's example. And so, so far we've looked at five aspects of Paul's ministry, of Paul's calling. And so quickly and with minimal commentary, you can always go back to the website and, and listen to these messages uh, if you would like to get more. Let's look at the first five. We're going to hit ch uh, the sixth one quickly and then move into Paul's prayer for the church. But uh, the first is this, Paul was fully surrendered to the will of God, and we too, as individuals and as a church, need to be people who are fully surrendered to God's perfect will. Whether we're suffering and in prison, whether we receive beatings for the cause of Christ, or if we're in comfort and freedom and living without persecution, if we have health or sickness, whatever it is, we submit to God's plan and God's will for our lives and for our church. That's so important. So many times I think we become, when we put ourselves in a position where we say, why God? Not a very good question to ask. Because God's plan is perfect. Instead, we should ask, Lord, what are you teaching us? What are you doing in my life? What are you refining in me to make me more like Christ in the circumstances that I'm in? In fact, James says, consider it what? Joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Can you imagine being in a position where you can say, I lack nothing? That's awesome. And we get that in Christ. And so even in the midst of difficult times, we submit to God's perfect will, and we also learn that in a way, not even in a way, we learn that even our trials are a gift from God because they are pushing us to Christ-likeness. And it's a wonderful thing. Even in, I know, you're saying, Ron, you don't know my life. Please don't call them a wonderful thing. In the grand scope of eternity, one day you will see it's a wonderful thing because it's making us more like Christ. So we surrender ourselves to the will of God as Paul did. Paul also understood and proclaimed the mystery of Jesus Christ. 
I love this. Paul was fully Christ-centered. Paul was revealing for the first time God's plan of salvation completed in Christ. Before there was pictures. You would see pictures of sacrifice. You would see pictures of different festivals and different feasts, all pointing to Christ. And now Paul was saying, let me tell you God's plan. It is revealed and perfected in Jesus Christ. What was hidden in the past is now revealed. It is no longer a mystery. And we get to re-reveal the ministry mystery in our ministry to others. So we, along with Paul, we proclaim the mystery of Jesus Christ. It's all for Jesus. We live for Christ. And as Paul said, to die is gain. It's a wonderful thing to proclaim the mystery. I mean, really think about it. How many people are out there wandering, wondering if they truly are good with God? We don't realize this because the mystery's been revealed to us by God's grace. But there are many people out there who are like sheep without a shepherd. Thinking everything's fine. Thinking God grades on a curve. And it's still a mystery to them. So let's tell them the answer. I have the answer for your mystery. Salvation comes through Christ alone. He died on the cross for your sins. And we get to proclaim just as Paul did. Paul was also thirdly continually humbled and empowered by the grace of God. Oh, humble grace. Empowering grace. I love the words grace alone. It takes me out of it. And it takes you out of it. And it's all from God. It's all a gift. And grace is what empowers our ministry and our godliness. Godliness and works do not earn grace. Now this is humbling. People don't like saying you have nothing, that you are in poverty. They don't like it. I love in uh, Matthew, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the spiritually poor. Do you know that the word there for poor is closer related to, the, um, to Lazarus, who sat outside the rich man's house? You remember that story in Luke? And it said that even the dogs came and licked his sores. You want to talk about someone who had nothing. That poor man, Lazarus, had nothing. Now the term for widow's might, who gave out of her lack, that's a step above the word Jesus used for poor in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have absolutely nothing. And so what do we need? The unsearchable immeasurable riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We have so much. The poor in spirit receive an abundance, a never-ending resource of God's grace, and that's what powers us. We need to realize we are indeed powerless apart from Christ. And we do that as individuals, but we also must be a humble church who boasts in Christ alone. We are to be a humble and gracious people who are quick to share the gospel, who are quick to give the glory to God because of his grace. We share Christ, we share the cross. Grace through Jesus Christ is our message. Paul also proclaimed the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And we too, as a church and as individuals, make Jesus Christ the center of all we do. And I ask you, what do you value most? Is Jesus Christ all-consuming to you? Is Jesus Christ the all-consuming subject of all we do and say here at a church, at our church? We will never, ever, think about this, we will never, ever run out of material to preach. We will never, ever run out of material to proclaim to one another. It's a never-ending resource. And because of that, we never run out of amazement. And I think sometimes we lose amazement, don't we? How many of you remember Disneyland when you were a little kid? When you were really little? Everything was huge. Now, I still love Disneyland, don't get me wrong. But now I look at it as I take Katie through the park. And I'm like, hey, are you seeing this? And I'm trying to point out everything I loved as a kid. But I remember riding like pirates for the first time. Like five years old and a little cannonball. This is serious. This just got real. In my mind, I'm like, this just got real. You know, because we're like, whoa, what is it? And now we go through it and we, we look at it different. 
Sadly, I think sometimes our Christian life is the same way. You know, not that we treat God like Disneyland, we don't, but we come to his grace. And when we first receive it and we say, oh, what a dirty, rotten sinner I am, and then by God's grace and his grace alone, we start growing in Christ and we start going, oh yeah, okay. Doing pretty good. And we lose that amazement. And then sadly, even more sadly, we start going, look at that poor guy over there. He just hasn't learned yet. And we become a gracious or graceless people. It's awful. We need to be amazed week in and week out. That's why we proclaim Christ. It never, ever gets old. We need to search the scriptures together and discover anew who Jesus is and all the riches of his unsearchable riches of Christ, of grace in Christ Jesus. We saw last time, two weeks ago, the fifth one. Paul had a high view of the church. And we too must have a high view of Christ's church. We belong to one another because we belong to Christ. Church is 100% not about you, but it's about the glory of Jesus Christ. It is never about our preferences or opinions. I'll let you in on a little secret. I was talking to the Pembertons last week and praying for them and talking to Christian. I said, you need to find a church. And I go, and what's amazing is God will lead you to a church and you'll be at home because it's God's people. And I said, and don't get caught in a trap that everything that's done in Hollister is, is perfect. And we can all kind of chuckle at that. We, we know that. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> sure. And I said this, do you know that in the, again, I don't get every preference I want, and I'm an elder. We submit to one another. We don't always get our way. There's things I'd, I'd change tomorrow if I could, but it's God's church. And the things that I would want to change, they're simple. Uh, you know, I like music. You, believe it or not, I'd probably say, hey, let's do a couple extra songs. We'd be a little tired. Darren's like, oh, no, no, we, we, we have enough. And Bruce saying, no, we're good. There are preferences that, that I have. We let it go for the glory of Christ because it's his church. You know what I won't let go? If we stop proclaiming the glories of Christ and we stop proclaiming the gospel, gone. Close the doors, shutter them because it's about Jesus and Christ alone. Not our preferences, not our opinions, not our wants. See, the church is so much more than we realize, and we saw that. We saw how the heavenly places watch and learn from the church. It's amazing. I don't quite grasp that. But I do know this. Every Sunday, if we walk in these doors with the right eyes, we will see in our church and in Christ's church a visible picture of redemption through Jesus Christ. Where we say this, look at this, this is a bunch of people who are a mess made right in Jesus Christ by God's grace. And it's a level playing field. If you are the newest believer to the oldest, most mature, and I wasn't pointing at anybody on that, <laughs> we're one in Christ and we grow and learn from each other and we proclaim who he is, and that's what we need to do as a church. We see changed life now proclaiming life in Christ. And I love it. The church is central to God's plan. This is what he chose to do. He said, I will build my church. Acts, you see it. The missionaries, the apostles go out, they plant churches and they established elders. And then the, here we are today in Hollister. God's church moves and it grows. The church is God's plan. We must have a high view because it's the bride of Christ, which we'll see in a few chapters. So we have one more, and it'll be an introduction, an introduction to our next section in Ephesians as we move into Paul's prayer. And so this would be our sixth example, if you're taking notes, uh, from Paul for us to follow, and it's this. We see that Paul draws near to God through Jesus Christ. We too, as individuals and as a church, we draw near to God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man. You guys know who he is? 
the man, Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? I don't, again, I'm off topic here a little bit. That verse came to my head. But Paul, when he was saying to Timothy, he said, our mediator is the man, Jesus Christ. Paul, for whatever reason, focuses on the humanness of God, of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. But why is that important? Because Christ came and was our perfect sacrifice. Remember when he died, what happened to the veil <coughs> that separated us from the Holy of Holies? Torn in two. <coughs> we now, through Christ, have access to God through Jesus Christ. <coughs> and Paul knew this. And he drew near to God through Jesus Christ. Remember in chapter 2, verse 18? And in verse 17, it starts like this. And he came and preached peace to you. This is what Jesus has done. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and preached peace to you who were near, Jews and Gentiles. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We come to God through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You will never, ever bring anything that will allow you to come to, Christ, to come to God except through Jesus Christ. You have nothing to offer. That's why when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are made clean. We sang it today. What will wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus makes us clean. In Christ, we come to God and we can come to God freely I love Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest, Jesus, who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So how is this drawing near accomplished? How do we draw near to God? We do this through prayer. Paul prayed. Paul drew near to God through prayer. Do you realize the tremendous gift that we've been given in Christ? In our gracious salvation, we now have a tremendous blessing and a tremendous gift given to us to be used right now. In fact, Scripture says that we should use this gift without ceasing. And what is this gift? Prayer. We pray. We can draw near to God in prayer anytime, anywhere. We can pray freely and openly. We can pray out loud or we can pray silently. We seek God in prayer through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray, this is, think about this. When we pray, God Almighty hears us. And you're saying, Ron, I've heard that in Sunday school. I think that was lesson number one when I was five years old. Okay, when we pray, we're going to talk to God. Uh-huh. And as a five-year-old, we go, okay, let's pray. Put on your adult, blow your mind head right now. When we pray, God Almighty hears us. He is not too busy. He's not saying, hey, Ron, take a number. And what number would I get? It'd be worse than the DMV, I guarantee you that. <laughs> he says, pray and I will hear. I will be your help. And he asks us to pray. He tells us, come to me. In Christ, we are never alone. We are never without one who hears our prayers, who listens to our prayers and moves to answer our prayers. Romans 8, another blow your mind passage. When we don't know how to pray, Scripture says this, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
I've prayed that way before. There are times I have been desperate for God to move. And I've said, God, I don't know how to pray, so let the Holy Spirit take over who can read my heart perfectly. God, it listens. The Holy Spirit will intercede for us. Do you know how wonderful and powerful this is? Do you know what you have in Christ? And see, Paul knew, and Paul was one who prayed. Think about the power, and not power that men seek, but true spiritual power that an open Bible, the very God-breathed words of God, inspired. This is God's word. Think of the combination of one who prays with an open Bible. You will hear from God, and he speaks through his word. And he shows us who Christ is, and he shows us his grace. He shows us his mercy. He shows us what we need to repent of and what to change. He reproves us in his word. He disciplines us in his word. He rebukes us through his word. But he strengthens us through his word. We see his grace and his mercy. Isn't that great, too, that he disciplines us? Really? You ever see a kid who just really, frankly, needs... It's not politically correct, but, you know... (laughs) And I'm not talking about, you know... I'm just talking about correction. The spoon of correction, whatever you may call it. The spoon of discipline. Why do we do that? Because we love our children. And we correct them. Because we want them to be ones who obey. Why? We want their heart to change first and foremost. But if you see your kid tearing off into the street, and you see a car coming, and you yell stop, you want your kid to obey. But we also want to train them up in the way they should go and see a heart of obedience that is done out of grace and out of a love for Jesus Christ. So we pray. And let's see how Paul prayed. Let's now go into... uh, We're going to read verses 14 through 20. It says this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to look at Paul's prayer. Now this is, we're in a transitional passage. We are about to embark on a journey of seeing how we are to live Remember, our practice in Christ as a result of God's grace in our lives. And now we see Paul transitioning in this prayer. And he's going to pray for the church. But you see, it's a prayer for power. We need God's power to do God's will. And Paul prays for the church with this in mind. He's about to unload and say, live this way. Be imitators of God. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. But we need God's power. To do this. And so that's what Paul is praying. And what we're going to do is break down Paul's prayer for the church into three sections. We're only going to hit one today. And it's this. How we should pray. What we should pray. And why we should pray. Over the next few weeks we'll look at this. But the first is this. How should we pray? And the first thing we see this is we pray with humility. We pray with humility. You ever wonder, what is the proper posture for prayer? Is it standing? That was the common Jewish posture for praying. Myself, I've prayed standing. I've prayed sitting. I've prayed while I've been running and walking and hiking. I've prayed in the car while driving. I've prayed in airplanes. I've prayed lying down in bed. 
I've prayed in the ocean between waves while I'm body surfing, waiting for the next set. A student will pray at their desk before a test. The soldier will pray, maybe for the first time, while under fire from the enemy. Prayer can take many physical postures. But what was Paul's posture? In here it says this, for this reason I, what? Bow. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. What that's saying there is Paul is bowing down. And when we see from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, it is attributing to God his rightful status as sovereign creator. All things come from God. And so he says, I bow before the sovereign father. I bow before the sovereign God. But Paul was kneeling. When we see kneeling in prayer and in scripture, it indicates this. It indicates a deep humility and a strong emotion before God. You see, there is a heart of humility in kneeling prayer. And again, heart. Some of, some of us, do you know my knees are like really going bad? And so when like they say, let's kneel, I'm okay with that. But getting up hurts. But yet we still do it. But if you can't kneel, don't ever think, oh, Paul kneeled, I can't kneel anymore. My knees just don't allow it. It's a heart posture. It's a heart of humility. Now there is something good in us as a church, literally falling on our knees before God. It shows humility. There is a heart of humility in kneeling prayer. And we see that Paul prayed with a humble heart before God. He had a posture of humility. But why? Why was Paul humbled? Well, remember chapter 3, verse 1, before he went on his sidetrack? For this reason, I, Paul, and then he started talking about his ministry. Pick up verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees. What is the reason? It is this. He was going back to chapters 1 and 2 where grace was just unloaded. It's God's amazing grace that humbles us. And Paul yet again says it. Paul is amazed and thankful for God's grace saving man and God's grace unifying them as one people. He's amazed and he's humbled. He's thankful for the church. He's thankful for God's plan. And God's grace should humble us and place us face down before God. Sometimes we're a bit too cavalier. Treat God as a vending machine. Do I want pretzels today? Or do I want a candy bar? No. We humble ourselves before God. And so for this reason, Paul is going back to what he just wrote. What humbles us? It's this. He called us. God adopted us. God redeemed us. God has forgiven us. Christ died for us. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. God brought us from death to life. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ. God has placed us in his church. And so for this reason, I bow down. Before the Father. It's worship. Paul starts with humble worship. He recognizes and proclaims who God is. What he has done for us. He's reflecting on God's grace. And when we reflect on God's grace, every single time we will be humbled. Because we realize how undeserved it is. May it never get old that Christ died for Ron. That Christ died for for you. For this reason, I bow humbly before the Father. The psalmist, I'm not sure if it's a psalm of David or not. It doesn't, doesn't say. But Psalm 95, verses 6 through 7. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. You may say, why? The psalmist answers, for he is our God, God Almighty, creator, sovereign one, the one in control, the one who provides, the one who heals, the one who protects, 
the one who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Come, let us kneel and bow down before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God, and who are we? We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We humble ourselves before God and say, you are in control. We are your sheep. Move us as you wish. We humble ourselves before our God because he is God. He is God Almighty, creator, savior, eternal, sovereign, and we are sheep. Paul's posture of kneeling shows Paul's humble gratitude and also shows that Paul came to God in a humble dependence. Are you dependent? Are you desperate? Have you ever thrown yourself down at someone's feet? And have you ever done that? Like literally, you don't have to answer, but like you've run up to someone and just, I have. When you have an older brother who could beat you up, sometimes you just kind of go, I hope he doesn't listen, but well, it's true. Sometimes I deserved it. Most times I deserved it. But I run to him and I just collapse at his feet. Don't hurt me, don't hurt me. And he could. And I would throw myself down at someone's feet. Maybe you have done that, maybe you haven't. But think about one who would kneel before someone. You are instantly at their mercy, aren't you? If you kneel before someone, you are defenseless. It is the opposite of what we'll see in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, Stand firm, be ready for action. Right? When we're ready for action, when we're standing firm, we're like, okay, come on, come at me. Don't hit me, but come at me. Right? We're ready. When we kneel and fall down, are you protected? You can get kicked. They have a sword. You could lose your head. You can get beaten. You can get stoned. Think about the posture of kneeling back then. You were in trouble. You were at the mercy of whomever you've fallen before. And when we kneel before God, we show that we are completely dependent on his care. That we bring nothing and we need you. We need you to move. And we need you to move kindly. And he is kind, isn't he? We've seen that. We've seen that, and he proved his kindness in Christ Jesus. So we kneel before him, and we say, we are dependent on your care and your mercy. It's a proper helplessness. We're helpless, but yet we see in our text, and we'll hit there in the next few weeks even deeper, is that Paul is praying for what? He's praying for power. He's praying that the church would know who they are. But he's praying for power from God and power from the only one who can empower. So humble yourselves to receive power from God. Do we come to God desperately? Without him, we can do what? Nothing. Do we believe that? Ask yourselves that. I have to ask myself that. I got to be honest with you. I... I kind of like myself sometimes. Thanks, see. You know, and and I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, I sometimes feel like the Pharisee who says, Lord, thank you that I'm not there. When we should be the ones bowing humbly, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We need to be desperate. You know, not only do we need to be desperate as an as a individual people, but I would ask you this, are we a desperate church? Do we come to God desperately as a church? I've been part of churches that are desperate for God to provide, for God to direct, and for God to move in power, and for God to save people. It's where we want to be. It's who we should be. And I've also been part of churches that are frankly anything but desperate. We should be a desperate church. 
And if I may be so bold, through the years, I know God has worked in my life. I have nothing to offer. Nothing. But our God is great. And I've read in Ephesians what God cares and loves his church. And so I have great hope and great joy for our church here in Halster. We have been through the ringer. We caused some of that ourselves because we're human and we need our Savior. Some of it we can go, ah, well, I don't think this is deserved. Does it matter? Maybe if it makes us a people who are desperate for God to move, not maybe, I know this, whatever makes us a people who are desperate for God to move, it is good. Even the hard times. So you know what else is good when your life, when your church, when your family sees God's power working mightily? There is something wonderful and great when the only thing you can say, the only explanation for what is taking place is that God is powerfully at work. When we can say, it's only God. It's only God's work that we're here today as a church. You know what? If I may be so bold, again, bold in Christ, that we are here as a church today is a miracle. It's because God is good. It has nothing to do with anyone but God's grace. And so we have hope in Christ. We have hope for renewal. We know he will renew. We know redemption is God's plan. He takes what's broken, and what's he do? He makes it new. How do I know that? He did it in me, and he did it in you. And so we sit here collectively together as a redeemed people in a redeemed church, loved by God. And so we proclaim Christ. That's all we have. All we have is Jesus and so when we see things we, that God does by his grace, we go, look what God has done. It has nothing to do with any of our efforts. We just say it's God. That's where we want to be. That's where we have to be. We need to be ones who can say to our children, look what God has done. Let me tell you stories of my life. Here's what God did. And it had nothing to do with my degree from Stanford, and, which I don't have. And it has nothing to do with my bank account. And it has nothing to do with any effort I have. Let me tell you about the heritage of the first books. God is good. And he provides and he takes care of us. And he loves us. And he sent Jesus. This we stand today only because of God. Are you, are you hearing me? Dependence, desperate dependence. We need to be able to say, look what God has done. Think of Israel crossing the Red Sea. Did they get to the other side and say, hey, hey, fist bump. Good job, guys. Take a knee, get some water, get some rest. They're drowning out there. Woohoo, we did, we did that great. Wonder if we could do that again. Let's do that. What do we need to do to do that again? I want to see the I want to see the see the part again. I love that. No. They saw God move and what did they do? They did a memorial and they worshiped. Look what God has done. The sea parted. Have you seen that before? No. Could you do that yourself? No. Who did that? Duh. God, we have red seas that need to be parted in our lives. Step out in faith and let God powerfully work. Humble ourselves in humble dependence and God will move. When the lame beggar was healed by Peter and John, remember Peter said to him, hey, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I have I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, what? Rise up and walk. And what did the lame beggar do? I'm glad that I had some work in that. No, it says he walked and he leaped and he jumped and he was praising God. 
Paul prayed with humble gratitude and thankfulness, humble dependence. And yet in humble dependence, we also do this. We pray with humble confidence. The ways of God are so different for us, aren't they? I know for me, like to say humble confidence, can I just share that I, I can struggle with arrogance. But I want to be confident in God. Guess what? There is a way that we are confident and we boast in God because he's perfect. And when we humble ourselves before God, humble ourselves in dependence, yet we have a humble confidence, again, it becomes all God. And we boast in the Lord. So we can be confident, not arrogant. Arrogance has really no place in a church. It has no place in a Christian's life. Why? You were dead in your sins. But God was rich in mercy. Remember? We've seen it's all grace. So who can be arrogant about grace? What did you bring to the table? Nothing. You bring nothing. So arrogance? A, a, a proud person? You know, I, an, I'm not a Calvinist per se. I'm Calvinistic, I like to say. But you want an oxymoron? Proud Calvinist. Arrogant Calvinist. Really? You believe God is fully sovereign and you want to brag about that you have that knowledge? That you're smarter than someone else? Come on. Stop. Stop it. Humble yourselves before God. If we have proper doctrine, doctrine, which we strive for and we work for and we study and we love good theology, but to be proud and arrogant about it, may it never be. Kindness leads to repentance. Gentleness. Do we proclaim the truth boldly? Absolutely. But we do it in humility. And we're confident that when we proclaim the gospel, that God will work. That God will move. Because God loves to save people. He loves, that's his business. He saves people. And because of Jesus, because of the marvelous work of grace in our lives, because of Christ, we come confidently before God. In Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father, as we saw earlier. In verse 12 of chapter 3, which we studied in the past weeks, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So when we pray, we come before the glorious Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And when again, we had said that this is an expression of God's authority and God's rule over all creation. And when we pray and we come before a sovereign God, Jesus said this. Jesus said we can pray with confidence because we are approaching our Father who loves us. That's in John 16, 26 through 27, if you want to jot that down. When we pray, we can be confident, humbly, because we are praying to a powerful and rich, rich father. Now, is that rich as money? Well, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? All things belong to him. So yeah, our God has endless resources financially. But it's, it's a tra tragedy when people say, oh, I'm going to pray and God's going to make me rich and here's the formula. Are you kidding me? Stop. God's riches are shown in Christ through our salvation. And that we've been blessed with every what? Physical blessing in the world? That's not what the scriptures say. It says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But it does say this. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches 
in glory in Christ. Can I say how thankful I am for the financial blessings God has poured out on our church? What a blessing. It just, in a time of transition, to know that God is in control and that he's, he's put it on the hearts of his people to give, it brings confidence. It just brings a peace. It's one less thing to distract. And, writ- and, and finances shouldn't distract. God's work done God's way does not lack God's provision. Hudson Taylor said that. And so we trust in God. But spiritually, do you need freedom from sin? My God will supply all your needs according to his rich grace. Do you need peace to sleep at night? Are you struggling with worry? My God will supply all your needs. Are you anxious about unemployment or work that's not going well? My God will supply all your needs. Do you want and desire more holiness in Christ? My God will supply. We have an unresearchable and unending resource in Jesus Christ. So I want to close with two questions. And we'll look at prayer closely either in one week or it probably we'll take two, but we'll try it. We'll see. We'll, I, I don't know. Just to be honest, I sit down and as I type, I kind of go, wonder where, how far we're going to get. I don't know. Um, I pray that you're tracking and following along and, and I see the same faces, so it can't be that bad, I suppose. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's a little different than doing youth. Like with youth, it's like, hey guys, sit down, you know, come on and let's, you know, we, it's a different style. This is like, okay, I got to be kind of formal here. So, um, <laughs> but I want to close with two questions for you. How do you approach prayer? How do you approach the eternal sovereign God? Do you pray? Are you one who prays? Is prayer part of your existence? Is it part of who you are? Do you use the gift you've been given? How many of you have ever gotten a gift? Um, We're getting, I don't know if we're getting the cappuccino machine. We are. My mother-in-law calls up and says, do you want an ice cream machine? Well, that took like a nanosecond. Yes, we want the frozen yogurt, frozen dessert machine. We want that. Like, why are you getting rid of that? That's awesome. Like, we used it once and we put it away. How about the cappuccino machine? I don't know if I'll use that. I'm just kind of a coffee guy. Like, coffee, coffee. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. But why aren't you? Well, we used it once and we put it away. We all have gifts like that, don't we? Maybe that ugly tie. You're like, I'm never wearing that tie. But it's, thanks for the gift. We've been given a gift. And if we treat prayer like a Christmas gift that we don't really like and don't ever use, it's a tragedy in the life of a believer. In fact, I would say that part of the Spirit's work within us means that we will be drawn to prayer, that we will have a desire to draw near to God. So how do you approach prayer? Do you access the gift we've been given? Because we have access to God Almighty through Jesus Christ, who will listen, who will hear, and who will act. What a resource for spiritual blessing. Do not waste any opportunity to approach God in prayer. We must be a praying people. And the second question I want us to meditate on as we, as we see Paul's prayer for the church over the next weeks, are we as individuals and are we as a church a humble people? Are we truly a humble people? Are we filled with humble gratitude for God's grace? Are we ones who are humbly dependent Are we as people, as individuals, and as a church, are we desperate for God to move and work within us? And in the same way, are we humbly confident in God's work in our lives and in the life of this church? Because God is at work. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He wants to move within us. Why? He sent his son to die for you.
He is not going to waste that gift. And so we gather together humbly, confident in God because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I, could, I think that's awesome. It takes me out of it. I have nothing to do with this. Let's see God move. I can't wait for the day to come. And the thing is, we miss it every day. Every day, if we stopped and rested and reflected, we would say, look what God has done. Look what God is doing. And the day will come when we'll look back on our individual history, on a church history, and we'll say, look what God has done. He alone has done great things because he loves his church. And we are humbly confident in our almighty, all-powerful God. Amen? Well, let's pray. That seems appropriate, huh? And then we'll close in song. I just want to thank you for, for being here this morning. And let's, uh, one other thing. If you look at your, um, I know I haven't really been reviewing them a little bit, but the Monday through Saturday questions, I hope you use them. If you don't, no big deal. This is not some legalistic, make sure you do this every single day kind of thing. That's not it. It's a tool, not a rule. But uh, one of them was this, the last one. Wouldn't Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 be a great passage to memorize? No pressure. There isn't, really, there's none. But wouldn't it be a great passage to memorize? Let's pray. Father, we, we want to just take a moment right now, just quietly as individuals, gathering corporately as a church to humble ourselves before you in, in just a time of silent reflection, thanking you for what you've done and what you will do. Father, may we as a people, as individuals, and may we as Grace Bible Church of Hollister continually be a people who desperately seek after you, who humble ourselves before you, desperate for you to move, and confident that you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.